Good morning. Hey, I'm, uh, my name is Rob. I'm one of the, the folks here at Oikos, and I know that we're still getting plugged in and getting to know a lot of you, but I'm proud to be with you, excited to be with you this morning to continue this conversation. Um, we've been in this study, as we're calling Set Apart, looking at 1 Corinthians, and, and we've had already a couple really good weeks to get into this, and we're, we're running at a pretty fast pace, I must say. There's a lot going on here. You know, two weeks ago, when got us started looking about what's the, the nature of Paul's letter, this letter to the, uh, the church at Corinth, which could be almost like a, a letter to the church at Houston, a letter to the church at what, Oikos, right, addressing, because he had been kind of their, if you will, their pastor father, so he was addressing some very real, active type things going on. And then last week, Howard continued the conversation, and, and this, I have to say, is, is one of the great tensions or challenges. And what I mean by that, for me, is that we have these letters that Paul has written in the New Testament to very, very specific contextual situations. And here we are now, 2,000 years later, trying to figure out what in the world was he talking about. I mean, think about our own family histories. If, if you had some letters or a diary from, let's say, your great-great-great-grandfather or grandmother just four generations ago, we'd have a really tough time understanding the context. That, that is the stresses, the, the activities, the things that were on their mind because they're just, they're just living in them. And here we are now trying to do this for the Church of Corinth, for, for Paul's letter, 2,000 years later. So I find, as I said, it, it's a great challenge to figure out how can we be faithful how can we take what Paul was, was talking to the church in that day at that time, and how can we live it out faithfully here? It's always, I mean, it's just a challenge, and, and I'll admit it up front. I'll also tell you, um, the last couple of weeks, and, and I think today, it's been an interesting process. I, I came in this morning with just a, a, real, a real heavy burden on my heart, because I think the tension for me is not just about applying the scriptures faithfully, but... In the last couple of weeks in particular, I've had this, this wandering sort of, um, I don't know how you say it, experience, this um, conversation. Do you guys have conversations with yourself in your head that nobody else is aware of, right, from time to time? I've had one of those ongoing for a bit, and it's not a new one for me, see? See, it, it's somewhat connected to my story and my, and my wife and our family, because I was, was in the business world, didn't really grow, I grew up in the church, but not really active in the church, and then later, once we were married and had kids, and my wife and I, uh, Carrie, we, we connected a bit more meaningfully with the church. And then in time, as we grew in faith, we actually ultimately left, left the business world, left the West Coast, California, where we are, went to St. Louis to study at the, at the seminary for full-time ministry, and that was a great process. We went and served the church as a full-time called pastor up in Wisconsin for four years, we made the decision to leave that, to resign my call and go back to the West Coast where our family was. And, and then went back into the business world. And so here I am now, that was 2011, seven years later, and I just have to tell you that there are times when I struggle in my being faithful to what the Lord wants me to do. Am I, am I in the right place based on what the Lord has me to do. Should I, should I be back into full-time church work, right? I mean, we can make these easy distinctions, or, or am I better off working for a paycheck in the business world? I, I mean, ministry, faith is all of life, I'll give you that. But I have a real wrestle 
with if I'm in the right place in my vocation and my service. And this is an ongoing discussion, and this is one that, that again this week just, I mean, frankly, just knocked me down a few times. And today, so I come in, I just come in with a heavy heart. I come in burdened this morning. Um, I don't necessarily have any more answers than I did yesterday or a year ago or 10 years ago, but I'm happy to be here with you. I'm happy to be in this place where we can hopefully come before the Lord, know that he's informing the conversation, shaping us, um, bringing his word to bear. I tell you what, why don't you, why don't you pray with me real quick? Gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that we can come to a place, and already this morning, people have been sharing some of their own burdens. We've already come, and we've, we've heard the good word, Father, that you're here, that you are on our side, that you call us to you freely to come and share everything. And, and Father, we know you, you know it all anyways, but yet you give us this opportunity and a family to come and share it. And so I pray, Father, that your spirit would be present. I pray that you would cause us quick today to repent to hear the news, to turn to you, and, and Father, we pray that, that we would be faithful, that my words would be faithful, that we would be faithful to Paul's message to the church at Corinth and to, to us here today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I think we're going to, at a pretty quick pace here, try to run through a couple chapters in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 9, looking at, at verse 19 and following. And I just want to take a couple sections or make some observations and see if we can try to do something that is faithful to what Paul is doing with the church of Corinth. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so as we're working through the, the book here, we've hit a few chapters now, Paul writes, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles, I do not follow the Jewish law. I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. You see here, Paul is talking about what this looks like. He's talking about being, when I'm with the Jews, I observe the law. When I'm with the Gentiles, I live like they do. He says in verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. What Paul is describing here is he's talking about how he goes about working and living in the context where he is, is that even though as a Christian he has tremendous freedom, and we talk about the freedom in Christ, even though as a Christian he has tremendous freedom, he yet observes those who he is with. And it effectively gives him, in loving his neighbor, it sets a boundary to this idea of Christian freedom. It, it lets us look at those around us. And so though Paul might say, I, I am free to do what I want to, when I'm with a Jew, I live with them, and I observe the law just as they do. When I'm with the Gentile, I live like they do. When I'm with someone weak, I relate to them in ways that I can hopefully win some to Christ. And so this idea of this Christian freedom, really the love of the neighbor, sets a bit of a boundary to this idea. That's Paul in his day and his context. And today, we don't talk about hanging out with Jews or Gentiles or the weak. We talk about the poor and, 
and some of the challenges we have. If we go ahead and turn the next slide, please, if you please, if you would. So this idea that love sets a boundary is something that we have to figure out what it looks like today, in this time, in this place. And I have to tell you, for me, in many ways, this looks like vocation. This looks like mission and ministry. It looks like how we walk out these doors and we identify those who are naturally placed in your area, right? So we could talk about our lives, right? What, what I do, what, what Pastor does on a day-by-day basis, what Ken does, what Ian does, we can kind of walk around the room here, and each of your life is different than mine. And by virtue of that, you have pe- people that have been placed nearby to you in your vicinity, And you may or may not know what's going on in their lives, but what we've been given by Paul is this idea is that mission is part of just paying attention to who's around. Part of paying attention, and not just to the unbelievers, folks. Don't, I know Paul's talking about winning some for for Christ, but but keep in mind, this letter, this letter of 1 Corinthians is, is written to a church. So he's talking to people like us who are in the family already. He's instructing, calling, rebuking, encouraging, all kinds of messages. And so this first section, that this, this idea of love, of me going and loving my neighbor, it sets some boundary. I don't have this complete freedom to go do whatever I want to do. There is an expectation. There is a participation that God allows you to receive. And as I said, this is part of this tension in my life. We're going to kind of, I guess, we'll be talking about Rob today. But this in my life is, is I look at my vocations. I'm a, I'm a, a, a husband. I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a worker. This morning I'm a, I'm a preacher. I'm part of this body of Christ. And you can kind of go on down the list in my neighborhood, in my workplace. And each one of those areas gives a shape to the things, the content of my life. I've said it before. I, I tend to know what I should do on a day-by-day basis because my wife tells me. Don't hear that as a bad thing. I'm not talking bad about my wife. I'm saying that actually I take it as a great comfort. I don't have to wake up in the morning and figure out what to do. My wife tells me. And when I go to work, I don't have to figure out what to do. My, my employer tells me. My coworkers tell me. My customers tell me. Right? And so this is this idea, I think, if we take what Paul's doing 2,000 years ago and paying attention to those that are around him as, as he is, because Paul's vocation, he didn't have a wife. Didn't have children, as far as we know, right? None of this kind of stuff. Just taking the scriptures. He was a missionary. He was a preacher. And he was engaged in that fully. And so that doesn't mean that that where you are in your life, somehow you have to run off to be like Paul. Today, in this time and place, you can do exactly what you're doing within the context, the neighborhood, the workplace that you live in. And it's a wonderful recognition that that this, this idea that we have for loving our neighbor that, that God has given us really sets this boundary, this expectation to the idea of Christian freedom. Now we're going to jump ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 here and spend a more, bit more time looking at that, uh, this section. Verse 1, and this is where Paul then takes, because Paul does a really great thing for us, right? We talked about earlier about trying to figure out the context. Well, Paul is going to link us to the history of Israel. What's going on in Corinth is not new. Well, it is new, but it's not new. That is to say, it's consistent with the Old Testament, and so Paul helps his hearers to understand that. So so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. So he's talking about the nation of, of Israel. 
All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Dry ground, In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. You see, Paul is, is making a very, very clear connection that there is one history of salvation. Whether Old or New Testament, it's all about Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we, could, we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan, pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual morality, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out that you can endure. So in this section of the letter, you have Paul is going through and, and talking about, for those people in Corinth, what the situation is about the struggles that they faced, how they rebelled around God, and, and God even was, was guiding them in the wilderness. And yet, as God cared for them and, and provo- brought manna and, and leaders like Moses and all kinds of amazing ways of getting out of the, the exodus from bondage in Israel and, and the, dry, the, the river, the sea crossing so they can get out and they're saved, and yet in all of that, they rebelled. And he saves them again, and some die, and they rebel and yet he saves them again, and so it's just this ongoing, ongoing dynamic. And I think it's easy for us to do something similar. That is to say that though God is faithful and cares for us, so quickly we get distracted. So quickly we start paying attention to what the world is saying today about where, where you can find hope and you can find trust and you can find security, where you find meaning. And yet we're told, even as Paul told the church at Corinth, that God is faithful. I know from some of you this morning, again, talking, there's some burdens that we see either family members that are going through struggles or our own struggles. I don't know what's on your heart this morning. Maybe you feel a bit like the nation of Israel that would continually rebel. You hear a good word, you, you, you get that kind of high mountaintop experience in worship, and then you go out and all the struggles of life you know, they kind of weigh you down. Sin is real. We can admit it. But our salvation is not based on our faithfulness. It's based upon God's. It's based upon the promises of God that he says, I will make you my people, that I will care for you, that I have sent my son for you. We live in this season after Easter, and I know we, we have that kind of in fact, we were talking about it with some of us. So this, this high, worshipful experience on Easter, and we probably literally have a sugar high from all the candy that we have that day as well. And then we come kind of crashing down. 
because, well, life's real. Okay? The sugar high is not sustainable. We focus on ourselves. That'll be the story every time. But yet we're told, even as Israel saw, even as Paul saw, and the church of Corinth saw, and even as the church sees today, God alone is faithful. And in God, we can take our consolation. In God, we can, in God, we can cast all of our worries and doubts, and he will care for us in very real and physical ways. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and, and keeps talking some more here, and it, it continues on from this perspective. So my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable, reasonable people, Paul says. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, are we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices of the altar? What I'm trying to say, am I saying, what am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat from the Lord's table and the table of demons too. What? Do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy? You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. So we have this dynamic here through this section of talking about the communion of one body and the body and bread of the Lord and this meal that we participate. And that's an activity where we're, where we're together, where we're talking about family, where we're, we're actually confessing that what we're participating in. And so I think the connection is because here's the situation in, in Paul's day. When you walked down the street, you saw the, you saw the Christian gathering places, and you also had the pagan temples. I mean, it wasn't like there was some middle of the road. You were either with God, the, the living God, and, and the Christian activities, or you were following the other religions, and those were the pagan religions. And they had their own places of temples with their sacrifices. And the meat that was being used there was, was part of meals at home, etc. So you had this the situation of competing values, the situation of competing confessions, the situation of competing views of how the world worked. The Christians had one, the pagans had another. That's so what Paul is calling us to is that we have this, this union in which we share. And not only about this union which we share, but it's about this family, right? And this really, I think, in many ways captures what oikos is about. When I say oikos, obviously that's the word for family, but oikos is the love for the brother or sister for whom Christ died and in Christ alone. So this nature of having this conversation around these other pagan locations compared to sharing in the meal, the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread and drinking the wine, is that it's a matter of caring for those that God has put in our midst. And not just those that are part of the family like in this place today, but for all who Christ died for all who on time become part of this family. And so we have this, this kind of wrestling with, we have the pagan conversations out there, and, and God died for them too, but they just don't 
haven't come to know it yet. Here we are in our context today with all kinds of challenging conversations that are going on, which we're going to come around to here in a bit as well. So I think that this is the next part of this section is that Paul is calling us in the midst of this this world to, to be part and to care for and to love those for whom Christ died and be clear that it's in Christ alone because he is the one that binds us together as the body of Christ. Continuing on in chapter 10, we have another little section here starting at verse 23, which I'm going to, again, we read this verse a minute ago, but Paul says, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others, so that you may so you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions for conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So you have this idea, as Paul is explaining this, is that you have this food out there that's been given for pagan ritual, and because of the Christian, whom we know that everything has come from God, we deny the pagan authority well, then we should have the freedom to eat what we want to, right? That's the point. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Now, this starts to think, sound a bit like we talk about today, doesn't it? Having folks in our home. It reverses it, though. If someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you, this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles, or the church of God. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul's in a tough place. I think, as we've heard before, that this church of Corinth is in a very busy, active part of the world. And just like I was talking about a minute ago, there's a lot of competing ideas about how life works. And so here is Paul now saying, if someone invites you into their home, even though they might believe differently, accept the invitation. You have freedom to do what you want to. And yet at the same time, if, if another says you shouldn't eat that, well, maybe you should honor that request as well to clarify what you believe. It seems to me that even in Paul's day, where you had Christian places of worship, pagan places of worship, that it was a consistent and a challenging conversation to be clear about what you believe to be true. I would love, <laughs> love for Paul to be here today. Because talk about some challenges. The way that Satan works in messages today to try to, to, to take us away from the Lord, the way that, that conversations happen, the way that things come into our home, whether it be through, through TVs, through movies, through phone calls, I mean, all kinds of things, it is so unclear about what is and what is not of the Lord at times. And I think we have to then guard ourselves, and this gets to the message. You'll move the, the slides forward a couple more. Because, one more, there we go. Here's the, the point. We have been set apart in Christ. We have been called to 
live and follow the Lord. And this is not then a matter of us making it so neat and clean that we don't ever go into those uncomfortable situations. No, in fact, quite the opposite. We are called to go into the world. We are called to be present with each and every situation we are. We are called to be in those uncomfortable situations that we just don't know what to say. We are called just to be next to people. Within the family here, we are called to sometimes offer correction. We are called to speak directly. And so part of this, I think we need to also understand is that we're also called as a family to sharpen our abilities to discern what is of the Lord and what is not. There are so many competing challenges today to make decisions about your life, about raising your kids, about dating, about jobs, about caring for your parents, about the neighbors that I walk around that I don't understand, about the new people that move in that are from some other background or some other ethnic background, about the person that's down at this corner that's asking for help. I don't know what it is in your life or your situation, but each of these are confronting us with a different consideration. And Paul is calling us together as the body of Christ to experience the freedom that we have, but yet also to share the things of the family, to share the meal, to share the confessions, to share the body of Christ, to pray together, to encourage one another. It's good to have the kids back with us. I got to tell you, this, this idea, um, as I said earlier, and, and I'm not sure how I'm communicating this morning, to be really honest with you. I've got a lot of things running through my head. This idea, though, that Paul really confronts with Corinth, how we are faithful as Christians in that setting and how do we do it today is, is just really heavy on my heart, as I said. Whether I communicated clearly about 1 Corinthians 9 or 10, I don't know. We can talk about that later if you'd like. I'd welcome that conversation. The part that I do know is that what we're engaged in this morning here is part about this, it's, it's this rhythm of faith. It's this idea that we come in as God's people into a house of worship, anywhere, it could be anywhere in the world, but a house of worship to receive the gifts of God. To receive the word which God gives us to restore, to forgive, to encourage, to lead us. That we come and we share in meals and we share in song together. That we come and we celebrate on days when we have baptisms the, the idea of coming in faith, of, of being killed and being made alive in Christ. And there's this, this rhythm that develops, that we gather and then we go out from this place, we depart and we go into the world around us, which is also part of God's good creation. But we're out there in these struggles and I, I, you might have a really wonderful experience in here and as soon as you get home tonight and, and the noise of the neighborhood and the kids are going bonkers, you might have kids that are sick at home and all of a sudden it just blows up. And then that's not even yet Monday morning. Tomorrow morning happens, and it's the same thing over again, and this life just beats, beats, beats on us. What should I be doing? And then we come back around this place next weekend again. We come and have the opportunity to, to sit and be encouraged and, and share openly with people that we know love us, and again, to receive the gifts of faith and to nourish God's Spirit in us. And then we go out again. You see this, how this rhythm kind of works? And this is, this is the part that I see in, in our culture, in our place today, and and it's why I so cherish the gifts of God and gathering of his people in this, in this fairly protected environment for a certain period of time to sit and be nourished and be cared for. 
One of the big pieces of that, which I cherish, is the opportunity to confess. I love coming in here and sitting and being able to talk about and just recall the stuff that I've done over the past week and just lay it on the Lord. Because I know the Lord knows it already. He's given me an invitation to share it with Him. And then I can be forgiven and I can receive a meal. And, and what I want us to do is I want us to take a little more time today. We're going we're gonna to move in into the, the supper here shortly. But I just want us to take some time to confess. Maybe there's nothing on your heart. If you have nothing to confess right now, Pray for someone around you. Pray for someone in your family that, that needs help. Pray for whatever you see in the world. But I'm going to take some time, and I want you to join me, just to take some time to confess before the Lord one more time before we come for the meal. I'm going to say the confession out loud. If you want to join in, feel free, and we're going to take some time to pause. And so I invite you to bow your heads and just take a moment of silence and self-reflection. Father, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us. so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. I, as an ordained servant of Christ and by his authority, forgive you your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.